Our special guest today on the Seacoast Sports Forum is one of the legendary voices in sports broadcasting and also the leader in the booth of Nesson's coverage of the Boston Red Sox. And it's our friend Dave O'Brien joining us. David, welcome back to the Seacoast Sports Forum. Thanks, Sherm. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And uh, obviously a very exciting time for those of us, and there are three of us right here, uh, who can't wait for baseball season to get going and see the Red Sox this year. Amen. Now, Sam Bruno... And I were wondering, like, when's the best time to get in touch with Dave O'Brien? But the problem was back in January and, and right up until early February, we didn't know if we were going to have a baseball season. So relief, we will have baseball. And Sam, go for it. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Good to talk to you again. You too, Sam. Certainly the big headline on the roster is uh, Trevor's story. So let's start with that. Well, what a great pickup. And I'll, I'll bet you both agree that the Red Sox needed to do something. It felt like you know, once the lockout ended, there were guys going everywhere, big name signing in all sorts of places, Carlos Correa and all these guys. And you're like, well, the Red Sox going to do anything. The Red Sox need some help at a couple of spots and they need to keep up with Toronto. They need to keep up with all those teams. And so I, I was I was relieved and very excited. Um, and frankly, this is not a guy that I centered on and thought, well, we got to have Trevor Story. You know, he was an all star and a gold glover, but hadn't really seen him very much. But then when you start to look at his numbers and you look at what he's capable of doing, he's got speed, he's got power, he's, he's a gold glove shortstop playing second base this year. And everybody raved about what a presence he was in the clubhouse and how good he would fit. And all of that proved, uh, I think, to be true or is proving to be true. I still think a vast majority of Red Sox Nation really doesn't know Trevor's story. And it, it's going to be a get to know you. So the best thing for Trevor would be opening day to go four for four at Yankee Stadium and have everybody fall in love. And and, and that's that's the tale there. But we shall see if that that happens. But I mean, the guy has a proven track record. It was a big signing. If you had told me six months ago that Jackie Bradley Jr. was going to be on the Red Sox roster, I would have just said, you've got to be out of your mind. How did that happen? I would have been right there in line with you uh, saying the same thing. But Look, the Red Sox decided to move Hunter Renfro. Um, he had a big offensive year. They felt like defensively, though, he was a liability. He did make a lot of errors, made a lot of great throws. I give him a lot of credit for that. But when you bring Jackie back, it's really with one thing in mind, and that is you need a right fielder at Fenway. And all three of us know this. Right field at Fenway is where decent outfielders go to die. You'd better be a great outfielder at Fenway. And we've been fortunate. You know, we've seen Dwight Evans. We've, we've seen Mookie, Shane Victorino, all these guys who are way above board, gold glove guys. But you have to have somebody like that at Fenway. It's just cavernous out there. So I think that's what that was for. I mean, Jackie had a really bad offensive year last year. He's declined as a hitter over the years. The question is bringing him back. Uh, to a, a, an environment like Fenway, is that going to be a good thing for Jackie? Is he going to all of a sudden maybe give you a 250, 20 home run season? I don't know. I think that's a big if at, at this point. Uh, but you know this, he's going to catch everything he gets He gets his glove near. And he covers a lot of turf. He sure does, yeah. I know I know. Haim Bloom uh, wants to build up the Red Sox farm system. So the, the, the prospects that in the Jackie Bradley – deal were important, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's Hyam's modus operandi. I think that's what he wakes up every morning wanting to do is accumulate prospects for the possibility of, of developing them 
and then trading them or trading them before they get to the big league level. Uh, and, and in exchange for a proven major leaguer, it comes right out of the Tampa Bay playbook. And, you know, you look at some of the guys that are, that are right there on the edge. The Red Sox are all of a sudden in really good shape with the list of, you know, the Tristan Cassises and the, and the Jaron Durans and the Meyer kid who have seen a little bit. Is there, you know, one of their Nick York, uh, who they believe is going to be. I mean, there's a good list of guys where I think when he came on board, not that the cupboard was completely bare, but the Red Sox were not a high-ranking minor league organization in terms of prospects who would be big league ready soon, and and they are now, and that's that's Hyam's work. And but you know, in Boston, we know this: you're playing to win a championship today. Uh, the fan base, the region, doesn't accept anything less, nor should they. And I think he gets that message loud and clear too. Well, what you've seen down in, in spring training so far, what's your overall impression of, of the 2022 Red Sox? Yeah, I like the I like the team, Sherm. I, I think, you know, being down there for a little bit around them, the attitude is really tremendous. Um, and people are like, well, that doesn't matter. It does matter. It, it matters how a, how a ball club feels about itself because every good team I've be, ever been around that's done anything uh, has that sense of itself that we are really good. No matter what anyone else might think, we are really good. I remember last year coming out of spring training, they had a lot of that going on, but everyone was predicting they were going to miss out on the playoffs. And that was a team that won 92 games and came within two wins of, of going to the World Series. So, you know, having that sense of yourself is big. It's really positive. Guys came to camp in really good shape. I mean, get a look at Raphael Devers. Rafi's in really good shape. He's, he's going to have a monster year if things go uh, effectively for him health-wise. I, you know, and there are, the interesting thing about this group is there are a lot of guys in the last year of their contract and heading toward potential free agency. Guys who can opt, like J.D. Martinez at the end of his deal, Xander Bogarts, Christian Vasquez. It's quite a list of guys. And uh, Nate, Nate Evaldi, there are a lot of guys on that list. So I think that edge is there because they're going to have to have a good year to get a really fine contract. Um, and so how they perform under that pressure is going to be really, really interesting. Well, I, another thing you brought up about uh, the DH, uh, and, and that was part of the negotiations on, on the settlement between the players and, and the owners. Give us your impression of what they finally got out of that mishmash that went on. We, like I just said, the DH is part of it, the universal DH. What, 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 do you, what was your take? Well, I think that the players clearly wanted it. That's more jobs, you know, uh, anything good for the players union in terms of, you know, more guys working mm -hmm. is, is great for the players union. So I, I think they got what they wanted. I think the owners were all on board too, because that's more offense and more offense sells more tickets. And, and I, and I, I do like where, and I think you're alluding to this too, Sherman, sure, where baseball is trying to get to. And yeah, sometimes it feels like it's kicking and screaming, okay, to get into the modern day. Like just the other day, baseball decided they were going to put a microphone in the hand of an umpire to explain what a replay review was about. Instead of leaving crowds in the dark and television audiences potentially in the dark about what they're looking at, this is like a decade past due. Everybody else does it. The NBA, the NFL, everybody, college basketball, Baseball was late to that party, but it's getting there. I, I, we're going to see a pitch clock in baseball. We've added playoff teams. So, you know, people who say that Major League Baseball is stuck in 1955 
really don't have it right because the game is beginning to move. It's I granted it, we have a lot of work to do, pace of play, time of game, all of those things. But I think baseball is is now attending to them. Like you know, the shift is going to go away. All of the there's a lot of active thinking about it. Um, frankly, I think Theo Epstein, the former general manager of both the the Sox and the Cubs, he's right in the thick of this. He's a big, big voice behind the scenes, and it's a it's a necessity. But I give baseball credit. You know, I've been a critic of the game too. Uh, that that it's it's behind the times sometimes. You watch a game from 1978. You know, put on a tape of like a Red Sox Yankees game in 1978 and watch that same, you know, couple of teams play today. It's two totally different sports. It's incredible how different it is. And not not only, you know, the fact that the games today take 45 minutes longer uh, and people just don't have the time to do that. Um, but I think baseball is doing a, a pretty good job now lately and through this collective bargaining experience of addressing some of those issues. Yeah. Dave, I, I, I agree with you totally on what you said. Um, I know you're a big proponent of the pitch clock and uh, there, you know, there, there are the ghost runner is back. You didn't mention that. Where are you on that next innings? Like it, like it a lot. Um, I'm not a big league pitcher. So those guys all hate it. <laughs> all of a sudden there's a runner at your back that you didn't put on and he goes on your ERA. Right. So uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the, some of the players don't like, but I think it's great for baseball. And look, we can't be playing 18 inning games if we could avoid it in the middle of the week of 162 games. Right. Yeah. Dave, I, I was going to ask you, you know, in looking over the roster and, you know, the, 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 the names we know are going to be there like Bogats and Devers and Kike Verdugo uh, and Vasquez um, really bummed out about the Chris Sale injury. Uh, I'm on the ledge right now with the Red Sox pitching staff. Take me off the ledge. Give me some positives about this pitching staff. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's gloomy and, and doomy, to be honest with you, Sam. I think the, the starting rotation, you, know, you, you make a great point about sale. You can't overlook that. That's, that's at least your, your, your second number one alongside Nate Evaldi. And you're not going to have him for how long? Month? Two months, month and a half, who knows with that kind of injury, you know, it's not like uh, he's built to overcome, you know, those kind of those kind of injuries. And it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit troubling to me that he got hurt thrown a baseball. It's one thing if you're picking up, you know, a heavy suitcase or you're twisting funny, you know, uh, building a shelf in your house. It's just throwing a baseball, which is something he does virtually every day. So that's a little bit troubling to me. But given that. Nate Evaldi had a terrific year last year, way better than he's getting credit for. He finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. Um, he had an outstanding year. He's a great, he would have been the number one guy on opening day anyway, whether Sale was healthy or not. Uh, but, you know, we got to find out how good Nick Pavetta can be. Uh, is Tanner Houck really a starter? You know, Garrett Whitlock, will he eventually be in the rotation? Or do you keep him where I'd like to keep him exactly where he was a year ago? where he was just one of the most valuable players in the American league. And I kid you not about that for a team that, that went to postseason play. The bullpen is a question mark. I don't know which Matt Barnes we're going to get. Are we going to get the first half Matty Barnes who went to the all-star game or the second half guy who had a, an ERA through the roof and wasn't the same guy. The Red Sox really don't have somebody that Alex Cora wants to say, you're the closer right now. 
And we're right on top of opening day. That's never a good sign, if you ask no. me. I want to know what Jake Diekman has in the in the in the tank. He's 35 years old. He's been a really good left-hander, but uh, and the Red Sox have tons of lefties out there. There's a lot of options. They have 15 pitchers beginning the season, 28 players to get the season underway. It's a lot of guys. It's a lot of different arms to choose from. The one thing we know about, well, we know a lot about Alex Cora, but one of the things we know is he handles a bullpen exceptionally well. And I think he's really looking forward to trying to mix and match those those parts. But I think that the bullpen is, uh, as Alex Spear, our good friend with the Boston Globe said, it's Frankenstein's monster with all <laughs> these different pieces tried to put together. Now we got to see if it can walk, you know? And uh, so that, yeah. that's, to, yeah. that's to me, the major question, not as much the rotation um, as because guys are only going five innings anyway. Right. Yeah. So it's the bullpen. And how Dave, what about 42 year old Rich Hill? Yeah, another guy that when we say, what does he have? What does Rich have? You know, it's funny, too. I don't really worry about Rich Hill. Um, I think I know what I'm getting out of him. I think he's he's probably going to give the club five innings every five days, somewhere in there. He's going to keep it close. He knows how to pitch. Uh, he's got a great curveball that he throws about five different arm slots. And, um, and he's done it for a long time. And he's been a successful guy for a long time. It's a great story because he's a local kid. You know, he grew up seven miles from Fenway and and he's one of the really nice guys you're ever going to meet in professional baseball. Uh, one of the sweetest guys. But, you know, in Boston, you, you better get it done every five. They don't care how <laughs> sweet you are. <laughs> you better get people out, you know. And you brought him up, the skipper, Alex Cora. Now, what is your impression of that new beard he's got? Huh? <laughs> You know, it's popular in his household. Um, I think he looks very distinguished. You know, he looks, he does. He looks like an MIT professor, you know. He ought to be, you know, carrying a pipe around. Um, but I, I will guarantee you this, as popular as it is with his loved ones, they like the look. Um, if the Red Sox get off to the kind of start they got off to last year, I remember against the Orioles, the Red Sox got swept yeah. out of the gate and – you know, people were ready to, to trash the whole season. And we were gloomy about it, too. It was like, what happened here? And then they won nine in a row, and everything was forgiven. But if, if, they, if the Sox go to New York and lose three in a row, that, that thing's coming off. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it makes him look more mature. But there, on the other hand, you know, if you and I try to grow one, you know the first thing the wife is going to say is, get rid of that thing. And the second thing is it makes you look older. Right. It's <laughs> a nice way of saying immature is a nice way of saying you look old, yeah. you know, and, and uh, like, I don't need any help with that. So I, you know, <laughs> okay. Well, now we know we, we're going to be starting the season against the Yankees. We are going to be taking a, a trip with that. You're going to be traveling down to the Bronx. Uh, are you excited about being in a booth as opposed to doing this hybrid thing that you've been doing the past couple of seasons? Yeah, we, you're right. I mean, for, for fans who are unaware or, or, you know, care about, we, we have not been traveling for two years. We have not done a road game virtually in two years, which is extraordinary. And uh, COVID just changed, not only changed all of our lives, it changes the way we broadcast games. And we're not going to do every game on the road, but 50 out of the 81, which is a lot, I think, um, to be there in person is, just a wholly different, mm. obviously it's huge for everybody, but for broadcasters, 
it changes the way you, you see the game. It changes the way, you know, we, we had a, a spring training broadcast over the weekend where Jackie Bradley hit a home run that we really didn't see mm. properly. Uh, and it, we didn't see the umpire signal. It was gone because we were at the, at the mercy of the camera people. And there were only a few cameras. and It was very difficult. We don't have to worry about that sort of thing when we're in person because we can see everything. We can see the boundary, you know, not to say there, there aren't still tough calls to make, but you, it's, it's a hundred percent easier. It feels like so. And just the whole, you know, hearing a crowd yeah. live yeah. being in person is, is a wonderful thing. Um, I don't think those days are gone forever. Sherm that, you know, you, you stay, stay out of the studio to do games. We're still going to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in certain places, like for example, we can't go to Toronto. <laughs> That's true. You know, yeah. If we get stuck in Toronto. If one, one member of our broadcast team tests positive for COVID, they're there for what, two weeks? Mm-hmm. And you've lost, say goodbye to Dennis Eckersley for a chunk of the season. If that, you know, God forbid that happens. So we can't go there yet. So we have to do those games from a studio, at least at the outset of the season. So not everything's changed, but uh, what has changed, uh, you know, we're really excited about. Well, I, I brought it up that you'll be traveling to the Bronx with uh, Dennis Eckersley um, and uh, obviously uh, Kevin Euclid is going to be part of the uh, broadcast team as well. Tony Maz, we've been hearing him uh, do games with you and uh, the Cowboy from out West, Kevin Millar will be, be joining you. Before we get to those guys, I, I want to bring up a book I read just recently. Uh, it was called if these walls could talk, it was Jerry Remy's autobiography with an assist from Nick Cafardo. Uh, people who want to understand Jerry Remy and his love of baseball and, and some of the personal struggles that he had going on in his life should read the book. Uh, Nick Cafardo, one of my favorite sports writers and baseball gurus, unfortunately, died just before, weeks before the book was published. My only setback is I listened to the audio version of the book, and I wish those two voices had been part of it, Jerry Remy reading it or Nick Cafardo. Uh, they had such distinct voices. I, I know Nesson's going to be doing some specials in remembrance of, of Jerry Remy. Give us some thoughts about the Rem Dog. Boy, uh, I'd need hours uh, really to get to the the heart of Jerry and, and what a terrific partner he was. And I mean, the highlights for me in the last, just the last few years, Sherm, were sitting in the conference room, uh, either at Nesson or, or when we did do home games in the booth with Dennis Eckersley and Jerry before we would go on the air hours before, and just sitting there and talking about, you know, their own memories of playing and, and different people they knew in the game. And that was just, gold broadcast gold because we were able to bring that out on the air because those guys were willing to talk about it and and I thought you know Jerry had become a guy who so much had happened to him and he had as you say battled so many things you know he was very open about his depression he was very open about his anxiety disorder the personal problems that he had gone through some horrific things in his life and and he had he had been able to put a lot of that if not all of it in perspective and just enjoy being at the ballpark, enjoy the people he worked with. And I think that was coming out um, maybe a little later than he would have wanted it to as a broadcaster, but it was definitely coming out. He was telling stories he had never told before. 
because it was like he was freed to do that and uh, and really enjoy that. He said something, he and Dennis both said something a few years ago that was really poignant, that they both wished they could have enjoyed their playing days more, that they didn't enjoy them. They were too stressed out. They felt they had to be perfect, too much weight on their shoulders. And they're looking at young kids like Raphael Devers and Alex Verdugo with a sense of envy. Uh, like, I, God, they, they're having so much fun. I wish we could have done it. So, I mean, a lot of great stuff came out of, out of Jerry. But, you know, what I'm really going to miss is uh, he, was a, he was a really, really fine partner, you know, a good teammate. Um, and you don't get that all the time and, and in any of our walks of life. You know, someone you can really rely on like that. And um, I, I thought he was terrific. I thought he wasn't a good broadcaster. I thought he was a great broadcaster. Perfect for Boston, you know, Agreed. and we've lost a friend yeah. in the booth. All of us have. And that's, I think, the most important thing. And, and, and if people do read that book, they'll, they'll, they'll get that uh, yeah. sense of his love for the game. And, and he was the dirt dog, rim dog. And uh, every time he was at a major league baseball park, whatever went on between those, those base paths, he was into it and, and he could relate to it. And he made sure we got into it. And I think that's one of the things you, you can appreciate being a play-by-play announcer. You need that complimentary person in the booth with you to, to take those parts of the game where it starts to lag and, and pick it up and, and, and give some life to it. You know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think he was terrific with the, the, the in inside game of baseball right. understood it uh, very, very well. And I, I really believe that he was, he was one of the best at delivering that and wasn't afraid to first guess, even if he got it wrong. Um, mm-hmm. He loved that part of it, you know, managing along with the manager. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that was fun. Um, you know, he loved to talk about baseball. We're going to opening day, you know, it's going to be very emotional because um, he was a kid in a candy store on opening day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he waited all winter long to be there and, and that's, there'll be a trace of sadness about that. But I will say this, I mean, as, as much as we're going to pay tribute to Jerry, he'd be the first one to tell you that life goes on. And the new guys who are in the booth, people are going to fall in love with those guys too. You know, Jerry was there an yeah. awfully long time. I don't think New Englanders are prone to embrace change. But over time, Kevin Euclid is going to be a very popular guy. You know, he's going to be, and will hopefully do more sure. and more games. He's only going to do 50 games this year. Um, and uh, Tony Maz is only going to do about 35, and Kevin Millar is only going to do about 20. So it's not like, you know, all at once you're going to get, you know, uh, exposed to these guys in big, big numbers. It's still Eck is the number one analyst, and that's the way it's going to be. I think these guys, however, will, uh, will get people uh, to, to appreciate their style and what they can bring to the booth, too. And, you know, that's the way it should be. They got a good partner. <laughs> that's for sure. Dave, I was going to say, is the three-man booth still going to happen this year? Not as much, Sam. I think you'll see a few of those, but you won't see as many. Uh, the one thing we kind of came to realize about our, our three-man with, with Eck and Jerry was that was really unique. That was really a special, uh, a special tandem of guys. And they worked incredibly well together, and they were incredibly entertaining and they were wonderful together. And we never, we never knew that was going to happen. So I don't think that just pops in all of a sudden. You've got great chemistry. You've got like, you know, we won an Emmy for, for that in 2020. And, and the ball club was horrible. Ball club was almost unwatchable. 
you know, in 2020, the COVID year, yeah. but um, people did watch and I, they, they really watched, I think in great numbers because they were terrific. Yeah. I just don't think you throw that out. It's very unusual when that works like that one did. Very, very unusual. Uh, I've found in my years in broadcasting. There's going to be expanded playoffs this year. So a, few, a couple of extra teams are going to get into the playoffs. Give me a quick handicap on the American league East. Uh, can the Sox compete with Toronto and Tampa Bay? Yeah, they can. Uh, I do believe they're going to score a lot of runs, Sam. I mean, there's even a chance that they outscore Toronto. Um, I, I think if they were 17 less runs than the Blue Jays last year when Vladimir had this incredible year and that lineup was, yeah, I know they've gotten better with Chapman. They certainly have. But they, they got a couple of guys you can pitch to in that lineup. And uh, they get a lot of young guys who are still swinging uh, pretty wildly at times. So I, I, I still think there's a chance the Red Sox would be right there with them now with Trevor Story and with the kind of year I think Raphael's going to have and Sandra Bogarts and, and everybody else. I think the offense is, is really good. Uh, it'll come down to pitching in the end. I think bullpen more than anything in the end, but Toronto's the team to beat. You're exactly right. Toronto, Tampa Bay won a hundred games last year. You know, maybe they're not as good as the season ago, but they, they always find their way there in the end. I don't think they're going to win a third straight division. I think the Red Sox have a really good chance. And then you've got the Yankees and, and that's still an incredibly good lineup. And they've added some people. Josh Donaldson is there now. He's a powerhouse bat. They got rid of a couple of liabilities. They're going to be a little better defensively. Um, I think it's a heck of a division, a really, really tough division. I think the Red Sox are going to make the playoffs again. I do. I think they're going to be there in October. Whether they win the division or not is almost immaterial. Just get in like they did last year. Sox finished eight games back last year. Right. They won the wild top wild card spot. We were able to beat the Yankees at Fenway, one of the great nights we've seen in a while, and yeah. then came that close to going to the World Series. Uh, right. so just get in the tournament, you got a shot. I, I mentioned Jerry Remy's book, uh, another book I was reading during the offseason. Uh, I don't know if you've picked a copy of it up, and, and it's the uh, Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski. Have you? Have not, but I like Joe's work a lot. Well, I, it's worth the read, it, it, and I would say I did the audio book. I would do do the actual hard copy uh it's a subjective 100 uh i'll just give you a quick rundown Schilling is at 88 carlton fisk at 80 bogsy at 47 captain carl yaz is at 38 pd at 37 cy young and jimmy fox 34 and 33 respectively clemens at 13 and the splendid splinter teddy williams at number six and i guess indirectly we can count the guy at number two babe ruth <laughs> <laughs> indirectly and uh, it sounds like it still hurts sure to say that you know it's only been a hundred years and, right and, so. and a factoid one of the great factoids that captain carl captain carl Ostremsky, he got the last hit off pitching legend satchel page that was one of those little factoids i love you can throw that in one of the broadcasts isn't isn't that great <laughs> well, I've, got, I've got one for you too i went we went to the hall of fame during during uh, the tail end of, of i hope it is the covid pandemic and they took us back. We got a, a little bit of a special tour because we begged. And they, they brought us in to see a bat that was broken at the handle. And it was Ted Williams' bat from an at-bat where Satchel Page struck him out. And Ted, Ted was so upset, <laughs> he slammed the bat. Broke it at the handle. Someone ran over and got it and said, this might be worth something. And they, they put a nail in it. So there's a nail still connecting love the it. handle I love it. to the bat. But it's a great story because Ted was so angry and he had no idea what pitch it was that Satchel had just, and that was unheard of for Ted. He always knew what every pitch was. The fact that he got him, you know, 
uh, upset him so much, but it's still there in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if they put it on display. I wish they would. That's fun. And and and, and they said uh, Posnanski says in the book that after uh, he has got the head off of Satchel Page, he went over and gave him a big hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, a couple of uh, things I just wanted to ask you quickly uh, as a follow up. Uh, we were talking about great voices. Uh, another voice we were missing during March Madness was Dick Vitale. How is Dickie V? Dickie V is doing incredibly well. Uh, you both realize he's, he's had a very, very brutally tough year, you know, battling cancer and chemotherapy. And then as a result of all of that, he lost his voice right. and had issues with his vocal cords. And he had to come up to Boston to visit the top voice man in the country, uh, Dr. Zytels. And um, he got fixed. Um, he got back in shape. He's talking again. I can't imagine being around Dick Vitale for a couple of months where he can't talk. Uh, God bless his family. Mm. But I think at, at the end of the day, to have him back on the road to recovery and aiming toward next year to be back on the air. I've had the great fortune to work with, with Dickie many, many times. He's a, a, an incredible partner, a huge heart. And the fact that he's back, coming back is, uh, is wonderful news. And, and he can't wait. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Dodgers may be the favorites in the National League, but when it comes to a, a team in the National League that I kind of follow, it's the Brew Crew. Uh, uh, I love listening to their legendary broadcaster, Bob Uecker, oh, yeah. on the radio. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, man, he is just, and I love it. And, and I, I was going to say, if you could put together, and this is a project that you, you should work on, man, put together a book of interviews with all these legends like the Uke and, and uh, Pat Hughes and uh, Joe Castig. And you got people like that, that I, yeah. I I'll buy the first copy. If you, if you, if you put it together. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll do that. If you will do the voiceover for the audio book. I will. With that's a deal. We'll put, we'll put that deal together. I'll contact it right. right now. And uh, all right. You, you got to be the voice of it. Sure. You've got to get it. Done. You got it. And by the way, I, Bob, I, Bob Uecker, um, one of the nicest guys. Um, he's been, it comes across. Yeah. And he does on the air. And he's, you know, he's not a joke machine, um, even when he's broadcasting games. He's not the characters he's played on television. Right. You know, he gives you a pretty straightforward call of the game. He has Great a call. high regard for that and for the place of broadcasters, which is not to say he's not really entertaining because he, he's amazing. And at his age, still getting it done reminds me a lot of Vince Scully. Yeah. You know, another broadcast. One games until he was 90 years old and and uke's been in great shape and uh, you know he's really one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet it, you know it's a skill those the, the voices i'm a voice guy as you figure out you know and i miss voices like the rem dog i'll miss that on the broadcast this year uh we missed dickie v during the the march madness and these guys, you know, they've got a, a font of information and stories to tell. And I'd like to have somebody document it. Years ago, there was a book called Voices in Sports. I remember I had it back in the 70s. And it, and it featured the guys that were big then, like Kurt Gowdy and all those, all that uh, era of broadcasters. But now we need to update it and, and include a chapter for yourself. Have Maz write it, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, well, well hey, you know, It'd be interesting that that whole thing where you're taking a talk show guy and a writer and you're putting him on the air as an analyst. And you know, he's a guy who loves baseball, uh, really knows the game. He does. Uh, and I hope that's coming out. But uh, it's a different it's it's a bit of a risk, you know, for the audience that we have. And it's, it can be very polarizing, as, as you guys know. 
Um, so- I was just going to say that as a, as a as a as a broadcaster and a sports talk guy, um, you don't usually get a chance to get on play by play broadcasts uh, with former athletes right now. And uh, you said it exactly. It's a risk because uh, sometimes you get a little negative about the home team, and you know you got to be a little careful. Although he did give you a good zinger just yesterday with that young man, Mister Shriver when he was pitching on the mound yesterday and he gave you the spinning out of crap line. Yeah, yeah. I think you were taking aback a little bit on that I, one. I said, that's right out of the scouting report. Yeah. That's exactly how Paul <laughs> felt it, you know, spinning the crap out of it. So <laughs> I, Sam and I were kicking that around a while back about the, the, the voices that are joining you in the booth. And, and, and the one thing I said about Tony Madison, I've listened to him on sports radio for years and, and followed him on, in the paper, obviously. Uh, the only thing is Tony has got to learn to slow down. Yeah. 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 And we've had that discussion. <laughs> I, I, he, he can work with a pro like you. He'll so, be fine. <laughs> well, whoever, whoever he chooses to work with, I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about, it's one of his appeals too, but guys who come from writing sports, no one's working with their voice or breathing, the art of breathing. Right. Exactly. So yeah. that you don't finish a thought without anything in your lungs, you know, and I I, I shared the story with Maz about Frank Sinatra. Sinatra had already become a big star. He was still very early in his career, but he'd become a big star before he started working with a voice coach. He'd never worked with one. And the first thing this voice coach and Sinatra talked about it the rest of his life. The first thing he taught him was you got to learn how to breathe. Exactly. to hold that note, to hold that lyric, you you need to learn the appropriate time to breathe, fill your lungs, and all of that stuff. And look, this this is a whole new world for Tony. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a whole new world for yeah. Kevin Euclid, for okay. even for Kevin Millar, who's never done a game before. Really, never wow. done. He's been on TV forever, but he's never broadcast a game. Wow, and that's a wholly different thing <laughs> than a, like a, a talk show on TV. So. There, for the, for them, all of it is. So I, I, I'm hoping people will be patient, and and uh, I'm sure these guys are all going to be wonderful, and they're, they're going to be well liked and respected. But it's it's brand new for them, and you know, patience is is a key, especially for Kevin Euclid. One little piece of advice, and if he reads that book by uh, the Rem Dog, uh, the first chapter is when he joined uh, the in the booth with Ned Martin, and the first year in that Nesson booth was in his opinion, in, in, in Jerry Remy's opinion, a disaster. And he almost pulled the plug on it on his days of being a, a color analyst. But Ned Martin said, hey, you, we can work this. And they did. They worked it together. And then eventually, you know, went to uh, Sean McDonough, or actually you had a couple of fellows in between, but Sean McDonough were, yeah. and yeah. then, you know, Don Orsillo and then yourself. So it, yeah. it, it's a work in progress. And and again, Tony is used to the, the sports radio where everything gets ratcheted up with he and, and Felger and, and people right. calling. Calm down. <laughs> He's talking to you. It's a one-on-one with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talk about you and Millar and, uh, and Tony Maz, but you know, you still got the gold standard in Dennis Eckersley. I mean, he, he is the best baseball analyst around and uh, you know, you've got to be excited about getting a hundred games with him. Yeah. I think it'll be a little short of that, but uh, more like 80. Um, oh. But I, it's still a lot, Sam. And it's, it's great that Eck is back and, uh, and willing to do as many games as, as he is. And that just leads to um, a sense of, you know, for fans, I think, uh, Hey, you know, we, we, we know this guy, we know where he's coming from. He's, he's one of us. He's one of our guys. And when you lose somebody, the caliber of Jerry Remy, that's so important. 
for for your fan base. But you know, um, look it, at the end of the day, it's about not the broadcast or the broadcasters. It's about the team on the field, and I think we we can't lose sight of that. And and I try never to do that because it isn't about us. It's about Raphael Devers, Xander Bogarts, you know, Nate Evaldi and Alex Cora and everybody else. And that's why people tune in. You know, they tune in to see the Red Sox uh, right. and in a big, big region of the country. And we're very lucky that people care as much as they do um, and, you know, try to reflect that in the broadcast. Let's just quickly ahead. I did circle one one game, Sherm, on my calendar, and that's going to be July 26th. David Ortiz gets in, inducted to the Hall of Fame on July 24th, and then there's going to be a ceremony at Fenway on the 26th. Any update on what's going to happen there, Dave? Absolutely none, and they're, they play it very close to the vest uh, on those things, like who's going to be there, uh, what, what the ceremony, what are they going to give him, if they're going to give him something else. I mean, uh, that's always a great secret and usually fun to learn. Sometimes we find out like 20 minutes before the ceremony. And you're like, well, we can't tell anyone, but it's really cool. You know, it might be a trip to Italy, like they gave Joe Castiglione, or a car, like they gave uh, they gave Jerry Remy on his 30th anniversary, that kind of thing. So we'll see. It'll be a special day, no doubt about it. And a couple other things coming up. Uh, the MLB announced that uh, the 75th anniversary of the Jackie Robinson breaking the barrier, that'll be coming up, uh, and they're going to be doing a special uh, number put the number 42 on everybody's back and it'll be in dodger blue uh, for that particular day but more importantly right here at fenway park uh, kick off the season with the uh, number two patch it'll be on the jerseys of the red sox for the for the season and they and, look great you know. by the way i think they did a terrific job with those and uh the players are are really embracing that and i think that's a very sweet gesture by the ball club a very appropriate gesture and um, you know, looking forward to honoring Jerry, like opening day, you know, that's going to be very emotional. It's going to be very tough for us, for, for those of us who worked with Jerry, just as, just as for you guys and everybody else who watched over the years and became great fans. Um, opening day is going to be tough for a little while. Um, I, I know this, he would have been right there with us and he's going to be there in, in spirit on, on, in that opener. And, and I think he probably, Wherever Jerry is up there, he's like, uh, I love the fact it's the Yankees, you know, to get it going. He'll be at Yankee Stadium in spirit two, three, four hours ahead of you. <laughs> That's no lie. I mean, that people people used to laugh at that and go, I said, that was absolutely true. You know, you could never, <laughs> ever beat him to the booth. Well, Dave O'Brien, uh, I know on behalf of San Bruno, we both wish you a safe and healthy season ahead. And if you hear somebody knocking on that broadcast booth door down at Fenway someday, it's probably just me and Sam. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to get notified about new episodes of the Seco Sports Forum. Follow the Sports Forum team behind the scenes on our Facebook and Twitter pages. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seco Sports Forum.